0: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: You just have to be 10 toes in. You got to be all the way in. One thing about football, you can't have one foot in retirement and the other foot want to play football. You got to be 10 toes in, whichever one you want to do. If you want to retire or you want to play football. So Ben just got to figure that out
2: on his own looky here welcome to the Jim podcast we have ourselves a bonus episode episode number eight dropping on a thursday listen do not get used to this do not expect this every single week because this is not going to happen but i will change up on you from time to time so here you go it's bonus it's premium it is free What we have here is Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, jungle legend Ike Taylor, a couple of conversations that I simply could not slam into a radio segment, and two guys who broke it all down, football and life, like two guys who are as good off the field as they are on it. It was a perfect time to get with both Kurt and Ike. You've got a Hall of Famer talking about a future Hall of Famer in Aaron Rodgers and others, and you've got a former Steelers great talking about a former teammate and a guy he won two Super Bowls with in Ben Roethlisberger, who's really been struggling of late, and so much more from both of them. So we have episode eight coming your way right now. Now, these days, you can get practically everything you want on demand, like our podcast. Listen whenever you want, whenever it's convenient for you. So why are you still going to the post office and dealing with their limited hours when you can get postage on demand with Stamps.com? You see, anything that you can do at the post office, you can do right now from your desk with Stamps.com. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package using your own computer and printer. And unlike the post office, Stamps.com never closes. So you can get your postage whenever you need it, 24-7. I seriously have no idea what I was thinking or doing before Stamps.com. I cannot believe that I used to go and fight the post office never, ever again. I will never, ever step foot in another post office ever again thanks to Stamps.com. So right now, I need for you to use my name, Rome, for a very special offer. I've got a four-week trial. It includes postage and a digital scale. Do not wait. Go to Stamps.com. And before you do anything else, click on the radio microphone. It's at the top of the homepage. And type in Rome. This is an amazing opportunity. Go to Stamps.com. Enter Rome. Stamps.com. Never go to the post office ever again. You will never see me in a post office ever. That's Stamps.com. So what's the opposite of a bonus? Because if this extra episode is a bonus podcast, then the extra voicemail has got to be like what? Some kind of penalty or punishment? It's a deduction. A deduction of premium podcast real estate. And if this thing is as bad as it is, with a week to sort through the barely usable calls, I can't even begin to imagine what it's going to sound like with only two days worth of crap on tape. But why imagine when I can simply hit play and then move on to much better content, like my conversation with Kurt Warner.
3: You have 12 new messages. First new message.
2: Hello, Mr. Rome. This is Stinky in Vegas, or
4: OJ in Vegas. And now that I'm out of the joint. I'm back on the hunt for the real killers. So please get back with me.
3: Message deleted. Next message.
2: Van Smack. More like Van F-bomb. I like it.
3: <laughs> message saved. Next message.
1: Hey, Roman. Billy from Chico here. Just getting ready to go and do a meeting. But I got a quick zinger for you first. You know how a dolphin does coke? Through its blowhole
3: message deleted next message
4: jim rome martin lathrop i want to give you a little uh, audio audition for radio and welcome to southern california home of jim rome <laughs> all right man have a great
0: day
3: message deleted next message
0: yo 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 i'm drew jelly. bad mr falcon like bruce willis tip in the box for talk and you can build this Never call four T I four like the I'm Drew Gillis.
3: Message deleted. Next message.
0: Did I just hear um
4: a man say his cousin has a luscious ass? Who the hell looks at their cousin's ass? What the hell, man? Shit. And shit Sydney Crosby, he's not the only
3: one with a great ass. There's Madison Baumgarner, Jake Coker,
4: Wilton Spate, uh, Baker Mayfield. Um, oh, I hate to say this person because I hate him so much, but Clayton Kershaw got one too.
3: Message saved. Next message.
4: Hey, Rome Skillet, Matt in L.A. here. Sam Darnold, if you're listening. With your cinder block head and granite chin, you may want to look into running a construction supply company, my man.
3: Message deleted. Next message.
4: Oh yeah, Corey the Fat Man here. Oh yeah, that's a good one.
3: Message deleted. Next message.
4: Wow, proud of that one, sir.
3: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. Message deleted. Next message. Hey,
1: Jim, this is Rick in Oakland, California. I know for a fact I'm not your regular demographic. I'm a 60-year-old black man, big-time Raider fan, big-time Warrior fan, and I love your show. I've been listening to you since around 1997 when you
4: first hit NorCal,
1: and I will continue to listen as long as you're on the air. Thanks, Jim. Love the show. Love the clones. Love
0: the crew. Take care.
3: Message saved. Next message.
0: Hey, Jimmy. It's uh, your old pal, Marty. Hey, I just want to check in with you and let you know that I got a new bicycle built for two and a brand-new pair of sweatpants.
3: Message deleted. Next message.
0: Rome, at Vic NoCal here. Hey, man, I'm checking out the injury report for Thursday Night Football, and I noticed on the Eagles injury list the names Lane Johnson,
4: Fletcher Cox, and Wendell Smallwood. Now, this is a big game for Philly, Rome, and if the Eagles are going to be down Johnson... Cox and even Smallwood
2: then they're gonna need a ball-out game from Jason Peters
3: message deleted you have no more messages
2: Victor are you kidding me with that Johnson Cox and Smallwood Jason Peters balling out no you didn't no you did not junk smack Victor junk smack you're better than that Victor Or at least I thought you were. As for the rest of you, I hope you're all proud of yourselves. Resetting Stinky in Vegas. Corey the Fartman. Marty Resets. Using my voicemail to try to audition for a gig. 1997 called They Want Their Takes Back. At least we learned that there are some other, quote, luscious asses on the list. Jake Coker, Wilton Spate, Baker Mayfield... You know, a bunch of college guys, oh, and although she hated to admit it, Dodgers ace Clayton Kershaw. Let me at least thank Rich in Oakland. Good looking out, my man. Thank you, Rich. Thanks for making this segment at least moderately tolerable. I appreciate you. Thank God that's out of the way. Let's get to the good part now of this podcast, my conversation with Kurt Warner. You know, the fact is, hard to find a more fascinating and inspiring story than the one that belongs to Kurt Warner. From bagging groceries in Iowa to getting fitted for that gold jacket in Canton. You might think you've heard it before, but never the way he tells it right here. Because in our conversation right here, Kurt recalls exactly how he felt along the way and how he struggled to stay in a fight that continually knocked him down. But he did stay in and he kept landing. And because of that, he's a Hall of Famer right now. We get into all of that. Plus, he shares his uncanny insight on Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, and more. As an all-time great, let me ask you this. Where would you rank Aaron Rodgers among the all-time greats?
4: Man, it's it's such a hard question uh, because all these guys, all the great ones, do different things well. Um, As far as his ability to ad-lib coupled with his immense talent. Um, you know, that part of it I think he does better or, you know, has done better than anybody that's ever done it. You know, I've never seen anybody quite as gifted uh as a thrower as Aaron Rodgers is. And by that I mean his ability to throw from different places, different platforms with his feet in different places. I was just watching the film this morning and there's a couple passes that he's actually jumping in the air and, you know, his body's facing down the field, and he's throwing it to his left while his feet aren't even on the ground. I mean, it's it's things like that where you just say, I don't know if anybody's ever done that before and been able to do that. So his ability to make those throws and then his ability to, to ad-lib and get out of the pocket and what he can do outside the pocket, to me, is the best that we've ever seen. Now there's other guys that I would put ahead of him as far as, their ability to read coverages, what they do inside the pocket. Um, But, you know, he's so good at that extra stuff that it's just so difficult to stop him, um, you know, because it's so hard to keep him in the pocket. And he's a a better athlete than people give him credit for. Um, And and so that ability to escape and prolong things, um, it's just, I mean, you just sit there in awe and um, you just know, you know, even though, I may have done some things really well. You know, you sit back and go, man, what if I could just do a little of that? You know, what would it have been like to do some of that? And I think that's what uh, you say when you talk about the greats. You look at these different guys and you go, man, if I could just have done a little bit of that, man, how good could I have been? And I think that's what all great quarterbacks do when they watch Aaron Rodgers is they say that because he's just so special and gifted with what he does you know, in that prolonging and ad-libbing part of, of the game.
2: If you had to name somebody, who does a better job of reading a defense than Aaron Rodgers?
4: Tom Brady, yeah. you know, sure. In, in a second is easy. Uh, Drew Brees is another guy that uh, is, is exceptional inside the pocket. And, you know, mostly you're going to find guys that can't do what Aaron Rodgers does. I think one of the things, you know, that takes away from maybe the, the pocket passer he could become is that ability to ad lib so there's times where he'll drop back and maybe look at one guy and then you see his eyes drop and he's just looking for a place to escape because he know if he he knows if he gets out of the pocket it's over um where there's other guys like myself tom brady drew Brees, we don't have that as part of our game so we had to develop the ability to see and react and get through our progressions and do those things much more efficiently and much more quickly than some of these other guys because we didn't have that aspect of the game. So there's a number of guys that I would point to that are better inside the pocket, um, you know, just from, from top to bottom, from, you know, Peyton Manning, another one, from, from Reed, pre snap Reed, to getting through their progressions. Um, but like I said, I think some of that is because he's so good at the other. That, you know, sometimes he just kind of says, well, forget that. Why am I going to stay in here and get to my third and fourth read when I can run out of here and make a 40 yard, you know, touchdown throw because I'm nearly unstoppable when I get outside the pocket?
2: And then Tom Brady, he's still doing those things at a very high level that you're talking about, Kurt. 11 touchdowns, one pick. He's 40, he looks 30, but. He's taken an unusually high number of hits. He's on pace to be sacked fifty-one times this year. Is there any way that he stands up to that kind of pounding over the course of an entire season if that doesn't change?
4: Well, I mean, you know, I'm never going to say never with him. I mean, my gosh, what what he continues to to accomplish, you can't uh, you can't say that he won't. Um, you know, and if you watch the nature of the way that they're playing this year, it's different than what they've done in the past. In the past. They've been very much the, the dink and dunk, the small ball type offense where he gets back, gets the ball out of his hands, doesn't take as many hits or doesn't take as many big hits because he's not deeper in the pocket and holding it as guys are are getting that running start. This year, that's changed. This year, they're throwing the ball down the field more. He's holding the ball longer than he has in the past. And due to that, he's going to take more hits, and he's probably going to take bigger hits than he has in the past. And so... Um, it will be interesting to see. I don't know if they have the players to go back to doing what they've done in the past. Um, they're not as efficient this year as they have been, but they're making more big plays, which accumulates yards and, and points the same way. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I mean, the thing about playing quarterback, it's just, you know, you, you're just amazed that, you know, sometimes you go through a career, and I look at my career, and, you know, sometimes you just you break a finger or you do this or that, and you just kind of like – you know, anything else could happen, and I could be on the field. And then there's other guys like the Eli Mannings and those guys that take hits and hits and hits, and they never have any of those fluke injuries that happen to them. So I just I feel like Tom Brady's going to sustain this and, and play at a high level and be able to withstand the pounding as long as he doesn't suffer one of those crazy injuries that just force him off the field.
2: Yeah, Kurt, it's so true, isn't it? When you talk about your career and your path to the Hall of Fame, like your story, again, the ultimate story of perseverance in the midst of all that, Kurt, did you ever think, why me? Why couldn't I have just taken the straight path? Why am I the guy who has to be tested over and over and over again?
4: No doubt, um, you know, and I think anybody that goes that sort of path in anything, you find yourself at moments just going, that, you know, saying that exact thing. You know, why me? Well, you know, why couldn't I be the one that was drafted number one overall? Why couldn't I just, you know, be the one that went to a big school and had you know four years to play? Why couldn't that be me? And so yeah, for a number of years, you know, no matter I was playing arena football or in Europe or, or, you know, even once I got to the NFL and ended up getting cut by a couple teams, and you're just like, what's the deal here? Why, why is this, you know, the path that I have to take? And then you get through it and you get to the other side, and you look back and you go, man, thank God that was me. You know, I'm so thankful now that I have that story, that I have a story that no one else will have that I can use my story to to inspire and impact people because so many people find themselves on a similar path to me as opposed to that other path. You know, very few find themselves on the path that, hey, you know, you're you know, highly doubted out of high school and, and you go to college and you win the Heisman and then you get drafted number one overall and then you have a great – very few people in, in any field find themselves on that path. Most find themselves on a similar path to me um, and I love that part of it. I love the fact that, you know, when I get to stand up there and share my story at the Hall of Fame, that no one else will ever get to share that kind of story. And, you know, I know we all have a story, but uh, but mine is just unique from that standpoint. And, um, you know, to me, that's that's the coolest part of it. And the thing that I'm most proud of is that I didn't take the, the straight path. I didn't take the path that everybody else did, um, yet I was fortunate to accomplish a lot of similar things to, to those people. And so many people come up to me, you know, whether it was after the speech or different times in my career and just say, Hey, you know what you did and what you accomplished inspires me. And, you know, it motivates me to want to be the next one. And that's what you love because you want your story and your life and your path to inspire the next generation, to inspire my seven kids to, uh, you know, inspire that, that football player that's playing, in arena football or finds himself on a bench or, or, you know, whatever that may be, you love that part of it now. But when I was going through it, there's no question. Right. There were numerous times that I'd come home and, you know, even look at my wife and I'm just like, really? I mean, why can't I get that break, you know, that everybody else seems to get Is it just not meant to be? Um, Or is it just one of those things that it continually shaped my character? And it was those things that sustained me and allowed me to have the success when I finally got there.
2: Yeah, but I was going to say, Kurt, what did sustain you? When you're in the middle of it, how do you stay motivated when you have all these setbacks and seemingly all these signs telling you maybe it's just not meant to be? How do you stay in that fight then?
4: Yeah, I never stopped believing in me. And, you know, when people look at my story, they look at, oh, well— Gosh, he sat on the bench for four years in college, and then he got cut by Green Bay, and then he went and played arena football, whatever that is. Um, you know. And then he gets cut from the Rams. And they look at all these things that you know were kind of negatives or, or went against me. And what I tell them is when I go back and look at my story from my perspective, yeah, I sat on the bench for four years in college, but I played my fifth year. And my fifth year I was the player of the year in my in my conference. And then, yeah, I got cut by Green Bay – but I went to you know, the Arena Football League, and all three years I was the best quarterback in arena football. I played in two championship games there. I went to Europe, and when I played over there, statistically I was the best quarterback in Europe. So when everybody's looking at, well, sitting on the bench and getting cut, all I saw was when I actually got the opportunity, I excelled. Every time I got on the field, I excelled when I played. And that, to me, was the one thing – as I was going through all these different steps was I just have to know whether I'm good enough or not. I'm not going to listen to, you know, people say you're not good enough that don't know and, and didn't give me a chance or didn't put me between the lines and just said, well, he didn't play in college, so he's not good enough to play in the pros. I needed to see it for myself. I needed to be convinced that I got a legitimate opportunity and I wasn't good enough to play. No one had ever really told me that. No one had ever given me that opportunity, and so in the back of my mind, that was what was always driving me, was every time I played, I'm successful. Now, all I need is that opportunity to play again. I need an opportunity to be on the big field at that level, and that's when I, I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to get a chance to prove, and maybe I'm not good enough, but I'm not giving up until I see it for myself and I know that I gave it everything I had, and I'm just not good enough to play at that level, and... um so you keep fighting and you keep battling and you keep hoping that that opportunity comes. I don't know what I would have done had I never gotten that opportunity. And I didn't want to be that 45-, 50-year-old guy that's sitting on the couch watching NFL football going, that could have been me. If somebody would have just given me a chance, you know, and kind of living in that world, I needed to know for myself. And that's what kept me going, I think, more than anything else, was that I believed in myself because I had always been successful.
3: I and I
2: incredible. wasn't
4: ready to give up on that until I had, you know, I had exhausted every avenue to, you know, to get that opportunity.
2: You know, you talk about something else, too, that's great. I mean, a couple of things you really take great pride in is that you started as late as you did, and then you accomplished what you accomplished, but you also talk about the hole in the middle. What does that mean, the hole in the middle?
4: Well, you know, it's funny because, you know, so many people see things so differently. And, you know, when when people were talking about, you know, the Hall of Fame and, you know, the the hole in the middle and, and you know— is he you know, good enough or because of that home and it'll, he shouldn't be in the Hall of Fame? And, you know, when you go back and kind of break down my career, um, you know, when I went from St. Louis and got released there, there was a perception out there that obviously I couldn't play anymore. You know, otherwise, why does a team that, you know, you take the two Super Bowls and you win two MVPs, why do they let you go unless something's wrong? So that was the perception. And then I went to New York, and, you know, my perspective – You know, go to New York. It's a team that won four games the year before. You know, I'm in a system there that doesn't fit my skill set at all. You know, what Tom Coughlin wanted to do offensively, you know, run on first and second down, throw on third, play good defense, not turn the ball over, and try to win that way. That was not me. That was not how I play football. And, you know, and so people saw, okay, St. Louis, he got cut, something's wrong, goes to New York, and he's not throwing for 4,000 yards, and he's not throwing 35 touchdowns, he obviously isn't the same guy. For me, it was an opportunity to go, being a leader and being a winner is about much more than throwing touchdown passes and throwing for a bunch of yards. And so in my first seven starts that next year, we won five games. They won four the entire year before. We won five of my first seven starts. And so for me it was, okay, you have to reinvent yourself. You have to find a way to lead men. You have to find a way to win, and yeah, it doesn't fit what you do, and it's not the way you want to do it, but that to me is what true leadership is all about, and that's what true greatness is all about is is being able to raise the game of everyone else and finding ways to be successful even when, you know, it, it's not down your wheelhouse and even when it's not the perfect situation. So I took great pride in, in, in that one year in New York um, and that, you know, I was fortunate that a guy like Denny Green went back and actually watched the film. And he didn't look at the numbers, and he, and he went back and watched the film and realized what was going on there and that I could still play. And he gave me another opportunity in Arizona. Um, and and as you said, you know, to me the, the greatest part of my entire career was the, the chance to be able to impact two organizations. You know, very seldom do you see – any player, but very seldom do you see a quarterback that can, you know, go from one system to another system and play at an extremely high level. You know, most of the great ones, they stay within one system uh, for their entirety of their career or a long portion of their career. And they find a system that fits hits their skill set and, you know, they just, they keep playing and playing and playing. Very few can reinvent themselves and go somewhere else and play it at an extremely high level. And so uh, I took great pride in the fact that when I went to Arizona that, you know, A, we know it was the losingest franchise in the last 50 years. And so to be able to change the culture there and to be able to win and to be able to be successful and find ourselves in a Super Bowl, you know, in two minutes from winning a Super Bowl, that to me uh, was one of the crowning moments of my career. and and I, And I think what it said more than anything, that it wasn't just about, my right arm and, and the ability to uh, to throw touchdown passes and win games. It was about the ability to lead and change the perception uh, within an organization or the perception of the people around you and get them to believe that you can do something that nobody else believes you can do. And uh, those things to me is how I look at those periods of my career where a lot of people go, well, there's a hole in the middle. Well, you know, it might've been a hole in the middle, but very seldom do you go To anything whether it's a business or an organization and change the entire culture in a year it takes time it takes time to build success and to change the belief of an organization so it took some time to get there in Arizona but I'm very proud of the fact that myself and some other great leaders and and, and coaches and we came in and we were able to change that through that period of time and, and leave you know when we left when I left there was a different mindset in the Cardinals organization and now they expect to win and the fan base expects for them to win and they're doing things within the organization that are you know derived from from that winning and what it takes to win and that's how I I look at my career and what I'm most proud of and so as people were saying well that hole is going to keep them out of the Hall of Fame so be it I would have been more than fine with that if that was the reason that I didn't get in Uh, because of of the the period where I had to reinvent myself and I had to build some things. I was happy to do that because I'm more proud of the fact that I was able to really impact a couple organizations in, in a really powerful way uh, before I was done
2: playing. Yeah, and can I say, Kurt, I'm kind of chuckling because who doesn't have a hole in the middle, right? What <laughs> great leader, what great achiever, anybody who's taking a shot at anything, who does not have a hole in the middle? We all have a hole in the middle, whatever that hole might be, yet it didn't keep you out of the Hall of Fame. You're a member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, class of 2017, so let me finally ask you this. How long did it take for that to sink in, or maybe is it still sinking in?
4: Yeah, it really hasn't sunk in yet. And, you know, it's just it's such a different career that it's really hard to make, make sense of it all. Um, you know, I think there are certain guys that play, and, you know, you kind of know when when your career's over or, or in the course of your career that that's the destination. You know, that's where I'm going to end up is in Canton. You know, I look at a guy like Adanian Tomlinson. You know, that that was a done deal. And then there's other guys like myself and, and Terrell Davis um, you know, that say, man, you know, when we played, we played as well as anybody that's ever played this game. But, you know, there are, you know, extenuating circumstances in our, in our stories and in our lives. And so you don't really know how that plays in. And so I think for a long period, I mean, it was really eight years between when I threw my last path to when I got into the Hall of Fame is you start reserving yourself and you don't really think about The hall of fame because you kind of go out you know really don't know or i you know probably not going to happen or whatever and so you reserve yourself to say okay you know it's good i'm I'm happy with my career and i'm going to go off into the next chapter and and just kind of live and then one day somebody knocks on your door you know after eight years and goes okay hold on now you're a hall of famer and it's really hard to to come to grasp with um with what that means and you know where that puts you and Uh, and why you're a part of that group, Um, you know, because I understand my story is different. But at the same time, you take great pride in the fact that, you know, a number of people said what he did, uh, you know, in my period of time or or through the, the craziness of my journey, that what I did was so important to the game that it belongs in Canton. And, um you know, and, and at the end of the day, as you know, Romy, no matter what you do, that's what you want people to say. I mean, whether you get a bust in Canton or not, you want them to say, That guy was different. That guy was special. That guy did things that nobody else did. Um and, you know, and that's why you do anything. And like I said, not to get the jacket or the or the ring or the bust, but just to have people say that because you want to be different. You want to be unique. You want to stand out. You know, I want to raise my kids to, to be those kind of young men and women that go out and they change the world and they do things differently. And you know, the way they carry themselves or the way they do their job, the way they love their wife or their kids is different. And it stands out and it makes people take notice. And so that part of it I'm extremely proud of, even though I, have, I don't know if I've come to grips yet with – with how I fit in and you know how I stack up to you know all these great players that have played for so many years and and, and have you know the more straight path, that seems to make sense to me more than how I fit in with my with my crooked journey that, that I took.
2: That's a great conversation. A really great conversation. Because we all know Kurt Warner's backstory. We all remember it, but when you listen to him lay out his journey and what it was like back then in those moments and then to see where he is right now From that grocery store to the Pro Football Hall of Fame, it really is amazing. Now on to my next guest, Ike Taylor. After a 12-year career with the Steelers, it took Ike maybe 10 minutes to find his what's next. And for Ike, that was TV, where he's absolutely killing it on NFL Network. But that's what makes Ike so fascinating. You see, if it weren't TV, it would be something else, like joining a front office, where Ike worked this summer with the Steelers in the scouting department, or maybe coaching, or something else. But, as Ike will tell you, he is a man of discipline and process, but he likes to keep his options open, and he will grind hard while he's doing it. As always, I love chopping it up with my man, Ike Taylor, and I know you'll like this conversation, too. What's up, Rome? How you doing? Man, I'm great. I am great. And I want to get your thoughts on your former team, Ike. But first, you got to bring me up to date on how you're living. You've always been a man of discipline and of routines. So what is your new daily routine now that you're another year out of playing?
1: Oh, man. You know i got to get the workout in.
2: <laughs> I know that.
1: That's for sure. i got to get the workout in. After I get the workout in, Rome, I'm pretty much good for the day. Just watching a lot of tape. Um, tape as in games or football. So when I go on TV or come on a radio or just show my face, um, I'm very prepared. So it's a few things I feel like I got to work on as far as being an analyst. Uh, But I will always feel like that wrong. So it's just me trying to get better, one, as a person. um, But for sure, pursuing this this TV dream, something I could never imagine. Um, You know, only a few can get in this world. And I'm just fortunate enough to understand, you know, the, the way you stay in it is by being prepared and just keeping up with a generation. So I'm always up for the challenge. When I first started, I don't know how many people um, other than yourself would be like, you know, I think I can do this. But me just going against the grain, and always trying to prove people wrong, that's just been my M.O., kind of my motivation. So that's where I'm at with it right now.
2: You know, Ike, one more thing about that. I mean, it seems like you set this thing up, right? You want to get into broadcasting, you're in broadcasting, you're doing great. But I'm looking at what some of the other things you're doing and you haven't stopped. As an example, this past summer you worked with the Steelers under the GM and in the scouting department. And you did that this past July. So what types of things did you do there and what was that like?
1: So, you know, I always felt like, well, me and Kevin Colbert, who's the GM for the Pittsburgh Steelers, we have a unique relationship and usually between an active player and the GM it's very unheard of. It's very rare. So Kevin Colbert just, he he kind of taken a liking to me wrong. And, you know, him and I used to go back and forth on his draft picks on what I thought was good, what I thought was, what was bad. But then he started liking my analysis, and he always said I had an eye for talent. Like, I get it, you're an active player. Not only do you understand the business side of football, I can see you have an eye on getting talent. So him and I just go back and forth again on draft picks, but I always told him I wanted to be a GM. Finally, this year, he was like, come sit in the training camp. So I told the NFL Network, like, I felt like this is a good opportunity for me to sit under the Pittsburgh Steelers and Kevin Colbert and see how they run things from a scouting standpoint. So I sat in training camp and saw how he ran things. And the thought process is different from the coaching aspect when you want to talk about football players. Because the yard retired, Rome, I went under Coach Tomlin. I was, going, I was going to intern that whole year, and hopefully Coach T would have hired me the following year. But, of course, the NFL Network, they wind up giving me a call, and it's been on ever since. But the NFL Network has allowed me to sit under Kevin Colbert and see how the Pittsburgh Steelers is ran – from a front office standpoint.
2: So, like, what's the end play? You want to be on TV? You want to be a coach? You want to be a GM? Knowing you, like, you probably want to do all three of those things.
1: I want to have options, bro. I don't want to limit myself. Um, I feel like it's a lot of windows that's open, but I do like the opportunity on, on TV. It's a flexible schedule, so that's, that's good for me. I got an 11-year-old son, so I help coach the football team. So it, it's very flexible for me. And it's a challenge. In um, a couple of years from my, from now, Rome, I don't I don't know. My mind might change, but right now in this TV gig, man, I can't I can't complain at all. I'm sure you know everything about that.
2: Ike, let me ask you about your former team, the Steelers. You know, I see. Look, there's some drama seemingly on the field. Maybe some drama in the locker room. I'm not in that locker room. I can't speak to that. But I can speak to something I saw on social: Levy on Bell and your former teammate Ryan Clark beefing a bit on Twitter. See, this is not unusual, Ike, and I think you've probably seen this. When you guys play the game, and then you become media, and then you have a job to do, and then that job might include being critical of your former team, then the guys that you played with say, come on, man, you know better than that. You're one of us. You've been here, and now you're betraying me. Have you experienced any of that, and then how do you approach it now that you are on the other side in the media?
1: Well, I I approach it with facts. Like I'm I'm not going to talk personally about somebody, but if you have a bad game, I have to talk about it, bro. I'm going to go about it in a different way because I still understand I need relationships, not only with my former teammates, just guys in general in the NFL. So I say things a certain way. Like I would speak truth, I would speak facts, but I will speak it to where a player would know, yeah, I, he's right, but he's not trying to dog me out. He's not kicking me while I'm down. So that's how I go about it my way on talking about former teammates are just guys in the NFL.
2: Now you look at your former teammates and they just got cracked, Ike, by Jacksonville. As I mentioned, it seems like there's a little bit of drama. I mean, overall, when you look at your former team, what do you see right now? How do they look to you?
1: They're struggling. You know, the the offense is struggling right now. This is my first time seeing Ben really struggle consistently like this. I've never seen it. You know, Ben might have a, a a game here, a game there, as far as like struggling, but You know, he'll bounce back two or three games later, throw for 300 or 400 yards. Right now, seven is just struggling right now. And I think this is the first time in his career where he struggled like this. Do I think he's going to get out this funk? And I'm going to say it again. Yes, he is. Just knowing Ben, being a competitor, he is. He's going to fight his way out of this. But it's just, for me, looking at it from a distance, this is the first time I've seen Ben struggle like this consistently and it happens, I went through it. I did two years of struggling. Not back to back, but I, I played so I played like eight games wrong where I couldn't do nothing right. Hmm. I couldn't. I couldn't do nothing right. But I had to fight my way out of it. And I think that's what Ben is gonna do. It's just and honestly they're still three and two. So he still got time. It just looks bad now. And I know he's frustrated because he wants to play better. But it's going to be seasons like this. I mean, it's coming at the tail end of his career. And for him to struggle like this is a first. But he just got to fight his way out of it. That's all.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, though. I don't remember you saying things at that time like, you know, I'm thinking about retirement. That might be the issue. Or maybe, maybe I just don't have it anymore. He says things like that. You didn't say things like that then. So when he says after a game, maybe I don't have it anymore, is he being dismissive with the media? Or do you think he's legitimately doubting himself? And is that in the back of his mind?
1: I just think he's frustrated, bro. I mean, like I say, I went through it a few times. You know, certain people, we all just built kind of differently. I mean, I think he's very frustrated. I think at this time, he might feel that way. Uh, but he's still going to come in on Monday and Tuesday, get ready on Wednesday with the game plan and get his, and get himself straight. Uh, again, he just have to be 10 toes in. He got to be all the way in. One thing about football, you can't have one foot in retirement and other foot want to play football. You got to be 10 toes in, whichever one you want to do. If you want to retire or you want to play football. So Ben just got to figure that out on his own.
2: like one last thing before you go. You've got your weekly cornerback rankings up on NFL.com. I've been tracking that. You've got Josh Norman as your number one corner right now. What is it about his game you like most?
1: He's a turnover machine in many ways. I don't remember if you know, well, you know, Charles Tillman, Peanut. Uh, peanut had a peanut punch. Josh Norman, he's known for interceptions. Josh Norman took on a peanut punch. So Josh Norman, for him to be a, a complete corner or – from my thoughts on somebody being a complete corner, you got to be versatile. So Josh can cover, he can catch interceptions, he can get the ball out, he can tackle, and that's rare. So usually, as a corner, either a guy can get interceptions, he's a cover corner, but he doesn't want to tackle. Usually, a guy can tackle, but he can't catch. Josh Norman presents all of those problems. He's highly competitive. He's very self-motivated, and he and he loves to be challenged. So that's that's the number one rule on playing the corner, man, loving to be challenged. Okay, you want me to play AB? I'm going to play AB. You want me to play OBJ? I'm going to play OBJ. Like he gets up for those games, and a lot of people don't want them problems. Them problems mean it. yeah, I feel like I'm the best corner, but I don't want to go against AB 60 snaps. I don't want to go against OBJ 60 snaps. I don't want to see Julio Jones 60 snaps. Because on the flip side of that role, that can shorten your career. You have three bad games against three high-profile receivers, and I'm scratching my head looking at you like, oh, you thought you was good, but you're really not that good. But every time that moment presents itself for Josh Norman, he always steps up consistently.
2: When you lay it out like that, then it makes me think of Richard Sherman, who you've got number three. I'm a huge, huge Richard Sherman fan. But if you're that guy that always wants to be on the other guy's number one, no matter how much risk there is, you know that whole rap about him, it's not his deal. He plays the system that he plays, but the rap that he doesn't travel, the rap that he stays on one side of the field, the rap that he doesn't necessarily get those same kind of opportunities, did you ever buy into that, and what's your reaction to it?
1: No, because every defense presents... Certain situations, like you just said, Rob, I talked to Sherman yesterday. So him and I have been going back and forth as far as like what he thinks, what he sees. Um, Him helped me out on his defense and, and what they like to do in Seattle. So it's been good, our relationship. But I got off that if you don't travel, you're not a shutdown corner train because your defense or your coaching staff, that's something they might not do. It takes a lot. Now it comes sometimes in the game with Richard Sherman, here travel at crucial situations, that's showing a lot. That's showing me a lot. Like, okay, it's it's third and six. Um, I haven't been traveling on Antonio Brown the whole game, but I'm going to travel for this drive. You proving to me on that drive right there that you want it, that you want to go against the best, that you're willing to sacrifice.
2: There you go. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus episode of the Jim Rohn podcast. If you like what you heard, you need to check out the other seven episodes, including the conversation that I just had with TMZ founder Harvey Levin. And if you can... Press the subscribe button and scratch out a review. That's really helpful to us. Also, hit me up on Twitter at Jim Rome and let me know what you think. And remember, you can always check out the daily radio program every day, noon to 3 Eastern on CBS Sports Radio and streaming live on JimRome.com. Or catch it on demand via the Daily Jungle Podcast, also available through iTunes and Google Play. Thank you so much for listening and for supporting the podcast. I'll be back with Episode 9 on Tuesday the 17th. Make sure you look for it then. Thanks for everything. See you then. I am out.
0: Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it.